Well, welcome back. Welcome anew. I am Joseph McClendon III, and you have landed on the Further Faster podcast. I will be your host, your guide, and maybe even your mentor on this leg of your journey to go what the name implies, Further Faster. And that's what we're here for, is to help you go further faster in becoming what we call more wealthy. And wealthy around here means to be healthy, happy, and financially abundant. And although I consider all of our podcasts very important, this one is, is I consider extremely important because if this does not affect you directly, personally, it affects somebody around you. The numbers will, are staggering. And that is people that are living with pain and specifically people that are living with pain and medicating themselves and maybe even becoming addicted to that. My guest today is Ahmed Zafrin, and he is an amazing, amazing man. And we're going to have a conversation not only about some of the things that are going on in this area, but some things about what to do about it. So if it's not just for you, it might be for somebody that you know that's close to you. So grab a pad and paper. We'll be right back with further faster. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the Further Faster podcast. And as I mentioned before, my guest is Ahmed Zafran, and he is the co-founder and chief medical officer for Lucid Lane. He's a board-certified anesthesiology and still practices in the San Francisco Bay Area. He trained at the University of Texas McGovern School of Medicine in anesthesiology prior to joining the faculty of Stanford University and School of Medicine from 2012 to 2021. In 2013, he completed his certification in entrepreneurship and global innovation through the Graduate School Business, GSB, Stanford Ignite program, which led to his role as the Director of Development for Stanford Medicine X Metal in uh, East Region, and also is a team member of the Stanford Healthcare Innovation. Ahmed, thank you so much for being on this important, important podcast. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, my friend, Ahmed? Oh, I'm doing very well, Joseph. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. I'm thrilled to be here. I consider you a mentor and and somebody so inspirational for for millions of people around the globe. So to share you know, this podcast time with you is, is really an honor. Well, the pleasure is all mine and ours. And as I said at the beginning here, there's so many people that are, A, dealing with pain. And uh, your, your talk, uh, when you spoke at, uh, at the TED Talk, captivated everybody because, as I said before, so many people are dealing with it. So let's start here. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, why you became so interested in this uh, area of it, helping people and some of the things that you talked about with people that, that are are and right now, obviously, the opioid addiction uh, ratios and things that are going on. What got you started? And share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, being on the front lines as an anesthesiologist, we, we, we touch these patients in so many different ways in regards to preparing them for a surgical intervention, where oftentimes that's the first time they're introduced to habit-forming medications like opioids or benzodiazepines, which are um, addicting type medications, but you don't become addicted to them just instantly. It becomes a journey and a process. And so when we're trying to do our best to take care of these patients, 
What we're also doing is introducing a potential harm when not providing the appropriate guardrails. So being an, an anesthesiologist and working with these patients, I have an opportunity to help guide them, not just during the operative course, but before they go into surgery, mm. understanding what kind of comorbidities, what kind of other conditions that they have that might be feeding into a potential dependence on opioids or benzodiazepines, and then helping to understand what they need emotionally, um, medication-wise, intervention-wise, to help minimize the amount of opioids that they would need after surgery while still simultaneously improving their quality of life, emotional well-being, and their ability to function. You know, at the end of the day, over 100 million people are going into surgery on an annual basis. Unbelievable. And nine out of 10 of those people are prescribed an opioid. So if we don't have an appropriate mechanism to give uh, support in the moment and to give them a solution to prevent persistent opioid use, then we're kind of sending them into the lion's den without a solution. Right. And what you said, uh, first off, that rings so true. And I'll share with you a little bit about my experience with that here in a minute. Um, but the before, during, and after is critical. You know, you're yeah. saying, you know, you, you let them know, here's what's possible. Here's the dangers of what's getting ready to happen here. And then obviously the surgery and what's going to happen and then what's going to happen afterwards. I think it's critical. And one of the things that I respect about you the most is your care for the people afterwards. Your care for the people once they are, are, are not only, you know, they, they've come out of the surgery, but then obviously people that are already addicted. Share with us a little bit about your organization and what you guys do to help people that are already, let's say, further down that, uh, further down that lion's throat. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for that. You know, Joseph, um, what we've done here at Lucid Lane, we've created a telehealth solution um, a digital solution powered by clinicians and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning that gives patients in the moment support, whether they're dealing with acute pain after a surgery or they have chronic pain and are looking for other methodologies and ways to improve their pain. Uh, while minimizing their dependence on opioids, or even patients whose relationship with these medications might be a little bit outside of the spectrum of pain and might have to do with a substance use disorder, otherwise known as addiction. Right. And so what we've built at Lucid Lane is a way, is a, is a digital solution powered by humans that enables us to figure out exactly what risk factors those people might have understanding where they are and meeting them there, providing a risk stratification that takes into account all of the events leading up to that uh, surgery or all of the events leading up to an addiction or all of the events leading up to their dependence on opioids and understanding that very, very uh, cogently and then providing a personalized precision-based mm -hmm. solution that gives them exactly what they need in the moment so that they're not on the sidelines waiting for their next clinic visit or on the sidelines not knowing what to do or who to turn to and having to make a very complex, challenging decision about how they want to live their lives on their own. So we've created a comprehensive solution that leverages technology that creates a virtual bedside manner where we can intervene, provide those critical tools in the moment while simultaneously helping them come off of opioids so that they don't become dependent or even addicted to them. 
That is so beautiful. And again, everybody that's listening, if it's not touched you, if you've not uh, been affected by this, it's somebody around you that you may not even know uh, that is going through that kind of thing. And again, I I love the fact that you are utilizing the before, during and after and, and the personalized aspect of being able to help somebody before something like this happens. Because a lot of us think of, uh, when we think of opioid abuse, uh, and opioid, the challenges that we're having right now, what comes to mind, and I've done, you know, just let's just say my share of research on this, Ahmed, uh, and that is that when when the general public looks at somebody that is, or they look at the opioid uh, challenges going on in the world, that's them, and it's somebody that has a drug habit, has a problem with drugs, and that's it. That's the way they think of it. And And again, correct me if I'm wrong. And then the person that is dealing with it they're going through their own psychological part of it, which is what you said before. And that is that they not not all of them believe that they have a problem. Not all of them. Right. But they think that they've got it under control and or they believe that they have to have this in order to be able to, to lead a, a regular life without pain. And, um, you know, for myself, I went through it myself. I'm not ashamed to sell it. Tell anybody I was absolutely addicted to something called um, oxycodone. For 10 days, <laughs> before, right. you, before you laugh, anybody laugh, I had a uh, total knee re- uh, replacement in 2013. And when I did, I went in the, and, the, and I told the doctor, look, I got to be up and walking without a limp on stage in front of thousands of people. And I need to do it in eight weeks. And he said, you can't do it. It ain't going to happen. He said, you know, he, he says, you're in good shape, but, you know, I work on athletes. He says, I, you know, I've worked on Olympic athletes and everything, and it takes them 12 weeks to, you know, on the average, it's going to take you about 16 weeks before you're, you're doing that. And I said, well, you know, I, I've got to do this. And I only had that window of time. And he said, okay, well, you get to do what you want and it's going to be tough. And he says, the way it's, it's going to work is you're going to have to go into, uh, what is it, uh, rehabilitation right away. That means right. you're going to be, yeah, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but up and walking the day of the surgery. And I said, no problem. Give it to me. I'm tough. <laughs> well, a- as you know, day number one, they had me on morphine. Right. So I woke up. There was no pain whatsoever. They said, okay, get up. And I, I did my walking with the, the thing and I'm going, no problem. Day number two, no pain, morphine. Day number three, I started to feel a little pain. So I pushed the button and I go, hey. You know, this thing's starting to hurt. Yeah. And they go, nope, no more. If we give you more, there's, as you know, you know, there's a danger. Fast forward, they send me home with, I want to call it ibuprofen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, something that just did nothing. Didn't touch you. I was screaming. It didn't touch me. I was screaming and I called the doctor and I go, you got to give me something else. And he goes, I told you. So he he, uh, prescribed oxycodone. And uh, I, very long story short, it took away the pain and I was addicted. I could not do without it. Yeah. And even after the pain started to subside, I could not do without it. And uh, it came to the point that I realized I was, I cannot do without it. I, I, would, I, would, I would wake up in the middle of the night because I would set a timer. And even though I didn't have any pain, I still went for the drug. And I right. realized that, you know what? what you already know. And I got out of bed, I crawled across the floor and I flushed that stuff down the toilet and I cried. I'm not ashamed to say it. I cried because that's how much it hurt. That's how much, uh, that's how afraid I was. And when I think of other people who do not have somebody like you 
to step in there that's going to say, here's what's to expect, and here's how we can help you, and here's what, what, you know, what we can do. That's, again, that's why we have you on here right now, is to make, it, make people aware that there is something else. Joseph, thank you so much for, for showing strength and vulnerability. So many of us are scared or uh, unable to, to be vulnerable in that way. And it, what it really mm-hmm. does is it provides a lot of strength, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you listening to this across the globe. You know, your mm-hmm. story, you know, re- resonates with me tremendously because so many people go into surgery and, and getting a total joint arthroplasty or a total knee replacement in your case you know, eight to 10% of patients having never have been on opioids going into surgery, continue to be on opioids three months or more after surgery. Yes. In medicine, we call it uh, newly persistent opioid use. And new persistent opioid use is the number one complication around surgery across the board. And nobody's really talking about it. Please repeat that again, just, just so everybody's clear on that. Absolutely. So millions of patients go into surgery on an annual basis. A hundred million people go into surgery on an annual basis. Nine out of 10 of them, 90% of people will be prescribed an opioid. Now, depending on the type of surgery that you're going into, a certain percentage of patients will continue to be on opioids three months or more after surgery, having had never been on them before. And for the surgery in particular that you're talking about for a, a total knee replacement, the literature, the scientific literature around academic medicine shows that around 8% of those patients, 8 to 10, will continue to be on opioids three months or more, having had never been on them before. And that's a huge blind spot for us as clinicians, because if we're unable to help patients successfully come off of their newly prescribed opioids, while simultaneously giving them other modalities and tools, whether that be acute kind of anesthesia where you get nerve blocks. You had mentioned that you went, you had Mm -hmm. gone home with a nerve block and that helped for the first couple of days. And then after a while that starts to wear off and you're like, whoa, this is really hurting me badly. I need to start taking some really potent uh, painkillers here. Well, if you don't have a comprehensive methodology and system that really kind of holds your hand from before you even go into surgery, leading up, And during the surgery, giving you the right tools, even the day of and the first seven days afterwards, but then continuing to hold your hand throughout that journey, there is risk. And it's not because you have some sort of uh, predisposition to become Mm. addicted or to become dependent. We all carry some form of risk. And so it's not fair to put the onus entirely on the patient. We need to be able to address everybody in in a way that's personalized to them, understand what their pain is, what other factors are contributing to that pain, and then tailor and personalize a program that enables them to come off of these medications safely, if appropriate, while simultaneously helping them achieve their goals in their life, whether that's getting back to work, in your case, getting on stage, or being a part of their family routine, or whatever it might be, if we don't understand and know very clearly what's happening with that patient, patient, they can fall into the abyss, fall into persistent opioid use three months and beyond, and then it's a slippery slope to mm-hmm. opioid dependence or even addiction where the relationship with the opioids or the benzodiazepines is no longer about pain, but perhaps it's more about a compulsion to take those medications or drugs. That is so very well put because 
honestly, the pain was, it wasn't completely gone. And I, 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 I can tell you, the physician did tell me this is going to hurt like hell. He, yeah. His words were, he said, women who have had children say that they would rather have five childbirths without anesthetic than to go through, through uh, knee replacement. And, you know, me, I kind of shook it off. I thought, well, okay, yeah, that, that's great and everything. But I didn't have anybody like that. And so my question to you would be, why, why are there, knowing that this leads to that, that many people that are going to have, uh, are going to be at risk of addiction, that are going to be, their lives are going to be denigrated after that. Why is there not something that is standard practice already? Again, I respect you so much for what you're doing, but why is that not standard practice in any kind of surgery or anything going in? If you get a hundred million people, that's one third of the population of the United States that's going into surgery every year. Why is it not something that is a common practice now? It's a marvelous question, and it's really at the at the core of you know my research and what we're trying to do at Lucid Lane. And what we've found is that there are initiatives in place where certain surgical teams and perioperative, you know, basically doctors and clinicians who work around surgery from before, during, and after. We call that perioperative teams. Um, are looking into, in, into different modalities and ways to have a comprehensive system to protect these patients. So, for example, there are, there are programs called ERAS, which is um, enhanced recovery after surgery for certain lines of surgery. And, and sur some surgeons adopt it more than others, like for colorectal surgery or head and neck cancer surgery, or even thoracic surgery for patients who may have lung cancer or lung disease, mm -hmm. where you have what we call a multimodal approach to pain and surgery, mm -hmm. such that even before you go into surgery, there are certain opioid sparing. So there, there are medications that don't incorporate uh, opioids that can substantially help you with your pain. That might include medications like ibuprofen, uh, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or acetaminophen or other opioid type sparing medications. For, for surgeries like what you went through, like the total knee replacement, there are kind of, there's what we call regional anesthesia where we can inject uh, local anesthetic into that area where they're operating, which bathes the nerves in anesthetic. And we can do that through a continuous fashion for a certain amount of time where you won't feel that acute sense of pain right after surgery. All of these are different modalities to empower the patient and lead to better outcomes around that surgical procedure. Now, that, that said, there are some surgeries that are so invasive or painful where some of these modalities don't work as much and opioids do play a substantial sure. role especially in those early days, you know, on the day of surgery and those few days when you're still in the hospital. And when you're on those medications, you kind of mentioned morphine and, and, and dilated when you're in the hospital. Well, you have to transition safely from an IV type medication to perhaps an oral opioid and then transition from that to an opioid sparing type medication. That requires nuance. It requires um, comprehensive care and attention to the patient. And if we don't have the resources or the ability or the scope to be able to do that for everybody, it becomes limited. 
So mm. there's still a lot of opportunity to improve. I must say that there are initiatives across the country and across the globe to do this. Now, where Lucid Lane kind of, you know, empowers even those practices is that our virtual program can sit on top of any surgical practice or any hospital system who's doing the best within the confines of the resources that they have. And we virtualize it in a way where any of those blind spots that occurred where patients were previously falling off the map and falling into persistent opioid use or having pain that was out of control and then them falling off of the the healthcare grid entirely and maybe seeking out medications outside of the system, Mm -hmm. we've been able to create that safety net for them and personalize their care which is great for them, but also for the doctors who are taking care of them on the ground. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to flip the script on that when we come back. I'll tell you why I'm here in a second. Um, but had I have known, quite honestly, had I have known that, yes, this is going to be addictive to you, and there is a process that we're going to get you through so that you get to be weaned off of that, I may have done things differently quite honestly, because I can honestly say I probably could have done without them on day number four or day number five. And because I noticed, you know, I'd wake up, there was no more pain. So we're going to take a break here uh, real shortly. But before we do, um, I'd I'd like to kind of set you up, if you will, because I want to talk about the dark side of uh, this opioid abuse. And, And what I mean by that is that obviously, you know, for, I, I literally, I, I should tell you this, I had gum surgery last Wednesday before I left. And they gave me, uh, what did you call it? Diazepine. Um, I want to call it. Oh, Diazepam? Diazepam, uh, yeah. And yeah. I saw it on the label and I said, nope. <laughs> I put it down. <laughs> I didn't use it. They gave it to me before the surgery. They said, I want you to take this before you go into the surgery. And then they gave me a couple more. Uh, to do that. And I knew that that was going to be a challenge. So we come back, I'd like to talk about the dark side of, you know, why, and, you know, uh, there is this continued, let's just say, because in order to get opioids anymore, you got to get a prescription from a doctor. And there's certainly a dark side of that as well. So let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what happens on the other side. So I'll see everybody back here in just a few minutes. Hey, what's good? It's me, Joseph McClendon III. And let me get real with you just for a second. Now, you've probably heard me talk about this before, something that I call the thieves of our dreams. Procrastination, hesitation, fear of failure, fear of success, self-doubt, self-loathing, imposter syndrome, and fear of rejection. Well, let me ask you a question. What if you could not only retrain your brain and your nervous system to automatically default to your absolute best thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, but you could also do the same for others that are going through difficult times and challenges in their own lives and things that are stopping them from creating the the life of their desires. Well, this is what I call neuroencoding. And at the risk of sounding arrogant, these are the same tools, methods, and strategies in neuroscience that I've used to operate in the upper 5% of all of my own businesses, especially as a coach, a speaker, and a presenter for the last 30 plus years. The Neuroencoding Institute provides you with the knowledge, the tools, and unmatched support to become a certified neuroencoding specialist and guide you to the life of wealthiness. And remember, wealthy means to be healthy, happy, and financially abundant. Go to neuroencoding.com coding.com to speak to an enrollment specialist today and I look forward to serving you at the highest level 
You're enjoying this episode on Angel Phoenix Productions Podcast Network. To explore a complete lineup of quality programs and media production services, head on over to angelphoenix.com or like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Angel Phoenix Productions. Well, welcome back to the Further Faster podcast. I am here with Ahmed Zephyrin, and we are talking about, let's just say, pain and uh, uh, pain management and how oftentimes so many people have become dependent upon and even addicted to opioids. And so, doctor, when we left, I started talking about, uh, you know, the dark side of things. And the dark side of things are obviously in order to get opioids, to get medication, you've got to go through the physician. And, and uh, legally, obviously, the, you know, some physicians are going to continue to do it. And my question would be two things. Number one, um, what level of responsibility is it for the doctor to recognize that this person could, should, and maybe is uh, addicted and uh, what responsibility might they have to even maybe find somebody like you to help this person uh, get beyond this? The responsibility on physicians who are prescribing opioids is enormous. So much so that there's so much anxiety and uneasiness amongst physicians who are prescribing opioids, whether that's in the primary care setting, whether that's after surgery and surgeons don't know how many pills to prescribe patients, mm. you know, who are going home, there's insecurity around that. Um, and then there's the, the aspect that because of the dark side of, of prescribing practices or patients who may be seeking out these medications outside of the scope of care, there's, there's, a, there's a challenge there for any prescribing clinician who, who is going to be delivering or, or prescribing opioids to understand the patient in front of them. And I think, you know, what we've been able to do is really bring to the forefront that patients who have newly been introduced to opioids are at risk of falling into dependence over time. And that dependence doesn't mean addiction. You know, being dependent on opioids Mm. means that if you were not to take them, you would start to feel withdrawals. And those withdrawals can feel debilitating. It can feel like insomnia where you can't sleep at night, your heart races, you may feel irritable, you may feel anxiety or even depression. Those are the withdrawals that people who have opioid dependence feel, and that's not addiction. Addiction, or a better term that we're using today that's less stigmatizing is a substance use disorder or an opioid use disorder, and if you're being specific to opioids, is a compulsion that patients feel when they they don't have that drug or that medication. And it's that compulsion that puts them in that, that can put them in dangerous situations, especially if physicians aren't prescribing because they, they're concerned that the patient is, is addicted. So now they're going outside of the healthcare system. They're going to the streets. They're compelled to go into these, you know, destructive or scary or dangerous situations where they may be seeking out fentanyl or they might be seeking out heroin when at the, at the end of the day, what they really needed was somebody or an entity to understand exactly where along the spectrum of their relationship with these medications or drugs are so that intervention can be very specific, precise, and personalized for them. 
The that second, was, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. That, that's absolutely spectacular. The second part of, of your question was, you know, can doctors utilize something like Lucid Lane to be able to feel more confident or less insecure or anxious about prescribing? And that's a huge part of our value proposition. Yes, we want to give patients exactly what they need and create the safeguards so that they don't fall into dependence or they don't fall into addiction. Um, if they had previously been naive or if their chronic pain is very different than someone who, who may have an addiction. But there's another end, there's the other side of the coin, and that's those doctors who are concerned and worried about prescribing these types of medications. And what we can do for those doctors is we can work directly with them where the patient that they're concerned about, we can do what we call a risk stratification, where we mm. take all of the, the ingredients necessary to understand whether a patient is more at risk of dependence or addiction than another and create a profile based on that individual. And based on that profile, we can leverage technology through machine learning or artificial intelligence to give clinicians that third eye necessary to understand what are we potentially missing here? And when you're able to do that, you give the physician confidence to prescribe effectively oh, so that those fine. patients who need those medications don't suffer unnecessarily, while at the same time providing a safeguard for the doctor so that they don't feel that, that fear of prescribing appropriately at the appropriate time for that patient. And knowing that there's a program in place to prevent the dependence, to prevent the addiction, while simultaneously seeing the improvement in the patient's functional status, their quality of life, their emotional well-being, their ability to make it for their you know, daughter's wedding or their son's wedding or whatever mm. it might be. They want to be able to function. And sometimes that requires the use of opioids. But if we don't have the appropriate safeguards, the doctors aren't going to prescribe because they're scared. Right. And those who, who are over-prescribing and are, you know, we know that these pill mills are out there. There has to be control mechanisms in place for anybody who's going to be prescribing. But we have to empower all stakeholders. We need to empower the patient. We need to empower the doctor who's prescribing. And we need to provide a safe space for, for these medications to be prescribed appropriately and prevent dependence and addiction when we can. That makes so much sense. And I love how you made the difference between, because you said it, that the uh, addiction side of it is stigmatizing and a lot of, nobody wants to feel that and nobody wants to know that. And I, I keep going back to, had I have known that there was something, of, had I just known that I was going to be able to wean myself off of it, because the psychological side to me was the most dangerous part. I was, t I was telling myself, I, I literally heard myself saying, okay, we'll stop it tomorrow. You know, all these things that I help other people not say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd say, oh, we'll stop it tomorrow. It's not that bad. And, oh, you got to keep doing it because, you know, the, the pain was there. That was my conscious psychology mm -hmm. that was talking. We start when bargaining just, with ourselves. Yeah. Like, oh, that's so well put. Yes. And that bargaining, I, it was a losing battle for me. The bargaining was I was still going to take it. And yeah. as I said, in the end, um, and I did go through some withdrawals, but the withdrawals were not the knee pain. You know, I love how you just put that with withdrawals with my psychological, my emotional pain, my, my anxiety, my what if this, what if that, and what am I doing this? And my brain was just going crazy. 
And, and that not, what you said, what if this and what if that and what if my pain get, never gets better? We call that pain catastrophization, oh, you know, and, wow. and, a, and, a, and a way to kind of, you know, catastrophizing is such a, a stigmatizing word. So I like to say pain thoughts, but those mm-hmm. thoughts that take over our conscience have a, a, a pivotal role in our healing and our ability to allow ourselves to heal because pain is so complex from the standpoint that, you know, if you have a painful stimulus, the way that we process that as individuals in our brain is very different from person to person and and, and from culture to culture. So, you know, how people bargain with, with, with what's going on, if we don't address the underlying psychology, as you beautifully put, if we're not providing cognitive behavior therapy for pain or insomnia, if we're not utilizing, you know, techniques like mindful meditation or mindfulness mm-hmm. or even psychotherapy, you know, we're, we're leaving a critical component of the pain medicine solution on the curb when it should be a fundamental ingredient oh, wow. in that patient's journey. It should be straight up front. It should be made aware, you know, even something to sign. Are you sure you're clear on what this is? (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't you want to (laughs) know? Yeah, I I did want to know. And and, and again, you know, as I told you my story, I was so anxious to just get this over with. You know, I may have they may have told me those things, quite honestly. I, I, I know that they didn't in the end, but it, had they have told me that, I probably wouldn't have paid that much of attention attention to it. So again, yeah. you know, I praise you so much. And it is the reason why I wanted, you know, once I, I saw you and heard you speak, wanted you to uh, be on the podcast here was because this is such an important thing. It is so, uh, it, as I said at the beginning of this, if it's not affecting you, it's going to affect somebody around you, which is affecting you as well. So we got to get up out of here, but I want to ask you two things. Number one, will you come back so we can continue this conversation at some time? Oh, it would be an honor and a privilege. I, I would love to. Fabulous. And then number two, whether you are dealing with this uh, type of challenge on your own or of your own, or you know somebody and you want some more information, I mean, how will they find you? How, how can they get a hold of you and contact you and, and maybe even your organization? Yeah, you know, what we, what we pride ourselves on is immediate accessibility. Um, we at Lucid Lane, you can, you can visit our website at www.lucidlane.com and explore. Um, there, are, there are sections on the website that are specific to, you know, folks, individual people who are patients and who are looking to understand more about our, our services. If you're a clinician or a practice, a surgeon, a primary care physician, or anybody in psychology or looking to help, you know, your patient population, there's an avenue for you to look at um, on our Lucid Lane website as well. What we're trying to do is democratize the process, make this type of care, this comprehensive care through leverage technology accessible to anyone, anywhere. And in order to do that, we have to be able to see people in rural America who may not have access to academic centers, um, you know, in, in, in urban centers and so forth. So we, we, we want to meet people where they're at. You can come to our website and when you do that, someone from our team will contact you or you're, if you want to connect us with your doctor because you may be nervous about talking, um, you know, specifically about, mm-hmm. you know, what you're going through. I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm easily accessible, you know, through, through our website or online, um, through my Twitter profile or LinkedIn. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be as accessible as possible so that anybody who feels vulnerable, anybody who is challenged with dependence, 
and feels that their voice is not being heard, or if you're, you know, dealing with a substance use disorder, or if you're just going into a surgical procedure and you have no relationship with these types of medications, we can have the biggest impact for you before the, the problem even happens, before the dependence happens. And I think that's really where Lucid Lane, you know, cut its teeth from the standpoint that instead of waiting for us to become dependent on these medications and perhaps not even get the relief that we're looking for through these medications, let's be preventative in nature and, and deal with the problem before it happens and, and have a comprehensive solution where you are at the center of your care, getting exactly what you need when you need it and without delay. Spectacular. An ounce of prevention, as they always say. Well, listen, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And all of the information that Zapper said, or, uh, he said will be in the, uh, in the description here so that you'll have that. And please, please follow up. And if you know anybody dealing with anything like this, you're just curious on your, uh, your own, you want to find something out. Uh, about that, please look them up. Thank you so much, Ahmed, for being uh, part of this. And I look forward to uh, our continued conversation. And thank you so much for what you're doing. I know you're saving lives, you're making a difference in people's lives. And everybody else, remember this, that life is always, always exactly what you dare to make it. And fortune favors the bold. And so even in this, boldly step up, always step up and dare to make your life magnificent. This is Further Faster, and we will see you at the top. This podcast was a production of Angel Phoenix Productions. Explore more episodes of this show or other great shows on the Angel Phoenix Podcast Network by visiting angelphoenix.com. The views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent those of Angel Phoenix Productions or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners.